0: Hey everyone, I'm in the Big Apple with my so-called friend Jake Harrison, who just tried to get a rat to attack me.
1: Hi everyone. I'm Jake Harrison, and I just tried to get a rat to attack Paige.
0: How could you do that to a girl like <laughs> me, Jake? Do I look like someone who wants to hang out with sewer rats? Don't say yes because I use bumble.com. It's not the same thing. Yes. Jake is here to talk <laughs> Jake is here to talk with me about something that he's very involved with, called Dungeons and Dragons. Just as a bit of background, Jake works on Climate Detectives with me as the game designer and does a lot of stuff with the math. You can both design the game, but Jake does a lot of the back-end math, and that's important because I just like him and I wanted to share that. Stop laughing at me, this is not funny. We just walked for 30 minutes downtown, and he and my other friend thought it would be really funny trying to give me to see a rat, so I'm a little bit flustered. We're going to talk about a different kind of animal. I don't know, Jake. I don't know what Dungeons and Dragons is. What is Dungeons and Dragons? Like, all I know is this thing that nerds play.
1: I guess that's what I want to start with. So what is the entirety of your knowledge? What have you seen it in? What is your conception of it? And we'll start from there.
0: My conception of Dungeons and Dragons is that it is for nerds, virgins, and people who really need an escape from the reality.
1: I think it is for two of those three. I
0: think. Nerds and virgins and what? The, this word like that was a joke. What? let like, elaborate.
1: Oh, I think it's for nerds and people that need an escape from reality. But I don't think virgins is also included in that.
0: Right out the gate. So Dungeons and Dragons, is this like an EDM club scene? Like are all these people hanging out being cool with Dungeons and Dragons? I've only ever seen people who are like stereotypically 80s video game nerd. You know, the guy who programs all day, who eats Snickers for lunch, who doesn't wash his face. That's what I think of when I think of a Dungeons and Dragons player.
1: I mean, I think it was much more that maybe 20 years ago, but I think there's been a huge popularization of Dungeons & Dragons in the last 15, 20 years, and it's really not that anymore. All sorts of people that all play Dungeons & Dragons that are people that like storytelling and people that like the roleplay elements of it, but it's, it's people all over. You know, I have friends that are doctors, I have friends that are lawyers, I have friends that are teachers that all like playing this game.
0: I know it's not a video game, and I know it's a live action role play. How do you play this game? Can you give me just kind of a bare bones on it?
1: Yeah, of course. So you can play it online. A lot of people do, especially during lockdown. But I think most people prefer to play it in person. It's a great excuse to get together with friends and eat a lot of snacks and do something for two or three hours. But how the game works is think of it like a choose your own adventure story where each person plays one character and then one person plays kind of the narrator, everything else in the world. And that person is called the Dungeon Master. So really, you can tell any story that you want. Most people tend to tell fantasy stories in the kind of vein of Lord of the Rings. But you can play games that are not magical at all. You can play games that are sci-fi in genre. I know people that have played, you know, modern drama games. You can really do anything that you want with it. But it's a way to tell stories and it's a way to interact with your friends and be these characters and watch the characters grow throughout the story. There is a rule set. There are books involved with it that kind of have the rules to it. But the nice thing about Dungeons Dragons and really just role-playing games in general is that you get to interact with the rules as much or as little as is fun for you and your friends. So I've been DMing for 10 years.
0: And DMing does not mean direct messaging or anything else it means dungeon mastering
1: yeah exactly yeah dungeon yeah DMing would be being the dungeon master and that's the person that is that narrator right that they control the world the settings if they encounter smaller characters the DM is the one that is those roles the characters which are sometimes called player characters or PCs are the main characters of the thing so they're the stars of the show at its very core, it's a way to get together with friends and be a part of this story. You're building it collaboratively and you're telling the story as a group.
0: few things. Sorry, I'm still just talking about a giant freaking subway rat Jake kept trying to get to talk to me. So, Jake, so tell me, what are some of the basic rules players must follow? If I sound sassy, it's because I'm still mad. <laughs> Stop laughing at me, Jake. Tell me the rules. What are the basic rules? To play Dungeons and Dragons, you have to follow a specific set of, I would guess, underlying rules, and then you can add or change them. What are these underlying rules?
1: There's a whole book that codifies the rules. To be honest, I play very, very rules-like games, and so I use um, very few of them. But I think the very core ones are that you have something, um, you have a a set of dice, and the most kind of hallowed of those is the D20, the 20-sided die. And any element of chance that comes up in a game is going to be decided by a dice. And so the big rule set is when do you roll a die? How, what number, or how many of them? And then is your character really good at something? And so do they get a bonus to it? So rolling dice to determine anything that's chance involved is really important. And then the other one is you have something called a character sheet. And the character sheet keeps track of who you're playing, what is their name, what are they good at, what are they bad at, what type of stuff do they carry with them. And that's the other most important part because that'll tell you how you're going to interact with the world, and it also keeps track of how you get better. And so the more you play, your character gets stronger, faster, learns things, and you keep track of that on the character sheet. So the really, really base core level things of Dungeons & Dragons are dice and a character sheet. You can even just use a notebook and a pencil, you know? It can be as low to the ground as you want. If you want to play by the rules, there's a set of books.
0: A set of books? How big are these books with all of the rules? And roughly how many hours would it take to onboard with all the rules?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I want to get back to that question, but I want to deviate a little bit. People say Dungeons & Dragons when they meet any type of role-playing game in general. So there's all of these things that people will be like, oh yeah, do you want to play D&D? But they're using other rule systems, and they're really just meaning they are playing a role-playing game basically all you need to know is some have different settings, some have different amounts of rules, and and they all have different emphases. But if you want to play Dungeon Dragons like proper, by the book. So I said books, but there's different books that the Dungeon Master needs and there's different books that the character needs. So there's one book for the characters, there's one book for the Dungeon Master, and then there's one book that's just monsters that could show up.
0: So you have to read a book of rules when you want to play a specific character. How many characters can be in a game? And do people traditionally play the same one over and over again? Or do people like to switch it up? And you're the dungeon master. Can't believe I'm sitting across from a dungeon master. It's wild. I never knew that about you, Jake. All I knew is that you were a vegan communist who is now apparently a subway rat friend, which I found out tonight. People really shock you in life.
1: I mean, vegan communist subway rat friend just might as well be my LinkedIn bio. Well, there's really not a limit to character. So the, the characters are your own invention. You make your own character. It's completely your own creation. You never sit down and read every rule in the game. It's more of a reference book. So you say like, oh, I want to play an elf. And then there's a little section of rules of like, how do elves differ from everything else? They're better at some stuff. They're worse at some stuff. And then it's all kind of high fantasy geared. So there's the types of things you would see in, you know, when you imagine like Lord of the Rings style, there's elves and there's orcs, there's hobbits, but D&D calls them halflings. You know, so there's all these different fantasy races that exist. And then there's also what are called classes, which are professions. Like, are you a fighter? Are you a wizard? Are you a ranger? And there's subsets of rules for those. So you never have to go through and read every single rule. You're only going to read the sections that matter to you, which really does keep things simple. I've never read the full player's handbook because I've never needed to.
0: But if you don't know what rules other people have, as Dungeon Master, how can you ensure that they don't break the rules? This is going to be an answer
1: that everybody answers differently. Some Dungeon Masters do know every rule, and they're encyclopedic about knowing what people can and can't do at its core, Dungeons and Dragons is like playing pretend with your friends on the playground, right? Do you remember doing that as a kid?
0: Jake, I still do that. We did that like an hour ago with the whole subway rat thing. That was just a joke, by the way. I didn't <laughs> actually cry at any point during our walk home. Yeah, of course, I play pretend all the time. We do that with our game too. Like, it's play is a very human, human thing.
1: Exactly, and for the record, Paige did cry. But uh, if you're with friends. And you all have this shared idea of how are you going to share the spotlight? What are okay ways to talk to each other? What is fun? What do we all enjoy? You almost don't need the rules. But going back to the playground example, I think we all have known a kid or maybe we've been that kid that doesn't have a sense of sharing the spotlight and they dominate the game. You know, the kid that tells you what you're doing when you're playing pretend or who they're pretending to be is so much more powerful than everyone else that they dominate the game. That's why the rules are there. The rules are there to keep people in check if they're messing up the story. And I see my job as the DM to be the one that cares about everybody having fun at the table. And so if someone messes up a rule, but it's still fun, I think it is more important to tell a compelling story, to have people be having fun telling the story together than it is to be precise. But if I have a player that is derailing the story or they're not leaving space for other players to tell their parts of the story, I will rein them back. And I'll say, you know, we need to be a little bit closer on the rules here. Let's actually follow how this function works. And I will treat that as a chance to go learn the rules better and be a little bit more precise of it.
0: So a few questions. Is this game always played inside? Can it be played outdoors? How much space do you need to play it? And when you say tell a compelling story, what does that mean? So this is not a game with points where it's like win or lose. It's a story.
1: Yeah, there's no way to win. There's no way to lose. If I'm being corny, the way to lose is to not have fun or to piss off your friends.
0: You say the way to lose is not have fun or make your friends mad. Jake, you've been playing Dungeons & Dragons for how many years? About
1: 10 years, maybe a little longer than that.
0: Have you ever lost a friend or had a friendship severely suffer? Or, you know, had friends who've had falling outs because of this imaginary game?
1: I haven't. I've heard stories of people that have. Uh, I've had a, a lot of friends that they're interested in it. They come, they hang out, they do a session or two, and then they realize it's not for them. And they take a step back. And obviously, I'm totally fine with that. I understand it's not for everybody. And then I think another thing with it is I've heard horror stories, mostly online, of people that don't take the time to like set up boundaries about the game. Obviously, you're telling a story. Some of these stories can be dark. Some of these stories can be about intense, serious subjects.
0: So I've always thought it was a game where you have just dragons and you're all talking about your dragons, like dragon tales, and having the dragons fight against each other. So there's a compelling story, and it can be about intense things. What's more intense than a dragon?
1: Well, you can tell those stories, right? You could have a story that's about people and pet dragons. I guess the thing is that Dungeons & Dragons is a sandbox. You can tell any story that you want. I really feel like a lot of games don't tell you how much space you need. And especially in a New York apartment, you're like, I straight up don't have a table big enough for this. Dungeons & Dragons, you don't need much space. Well, caveat. Like with everything with Dungeons and Dragons, it's up to you. The minimal setup, all you would need is a notebook and a set of dice. Everybody could be sitting on a different part of the couch. You don't need any shared space in the middle. Some people really like to play with maps and figurines. You put down a map that's like a board game board in the middle of the table. I typically don't. I don't think it adds stuff to the stories that I'm trying to tell. But some people try to do a lot more tactical war and combat scenarios. But you can dial it in. I know people that have entire rooms dedicated to D&D. I know people that have played it on a bus seat with the person next to them. its I don't want to say choose your own adventure again. It's variable.
0: Well, it's probably good you don't say choose your own adventure because the people who own that company have copyrighted that phrase and will sue anyone who uses it in any capacity. And that's how they're keeping their company afloat. That whole cute choose your own adventure book series. Yeah, the people who own it, wild. You should check them out. I don't want to get sued, so I'm not gonna comment on it further. But people have Dungeons and Dragons rooms. They have rooms to play Dungeons and Dragons. Do they get like, costumes? Do they dress up? Jake, I gotta ask: Are there any weird elements to this? Is there a cult? Is there a Dungeons and Dragons church? Do you like buy houses together to role play Dungeons and Dragons in? People definitely
1: sometimes wear costumes and stuff. I would say it is by far an outlier. Most people don't do costumes. They don't do anything as intensive as even the people that have a dedicated room to it. What you're talking about with, you know, when you start getting into costumes and that type of thing, you're getting into something called LARPing, which is live action role playing. And that's where people will actually physically do sword fighting as part of the story. Dungeon Dragon is a little bit different because you, instead of actually picking up a fake sword and sword fighting someone, you would just describe it. So if my character is going to explore something, the DM would be like, all right, well, here's what the room looks like. What do you explore? And I would verbally explore it to uh, explain it to him. Where people that are live-action role-playing, I know people that have gone to these weekend-long live-action role-playing experiences, that they're in a house that's been rented out, the house is full of clues and plot points, and then they just spend all weekend telling a story. It's almost like a murder mystery party but taken to the nth degree. So Dungeons & Dragons isn't typically that, right? Dungeons & Dragons is more verbal. It's more subdued. You don't need quite as much investment
0: very interesting so if i were to play would i be assigned a character or could i pick one and how does that work how do you choose who plays what role
1: the character you play is is up to you a lot of times i like to hold what's called a session zero but just a first session where you get everyone together before they've made characters or maybe they have loose ideas for characters and you get together and say like who's thinking about what, and you can find interesting character connections. So you might come in and you're like, you've been thinking about some sort of wizard or something. And you get together with your group and someone's like, oh, I also wanted to do a wizard in this vein. And then you guys could have a conversation and be like, oh, well, do we want two wizards? Oh, should they be twins? Should they be rivals? And you can come up with these little story elements to help build out your characters before you even start playing. So there's no assignment of you know, your DM's never going to be like, you're this person, but there is a little bit of some collective, like, what's everybody thinking about? How do we make this interesting and work together? For example, the last game that I ran was a magical high school type of thing. So in the vein of Harry Potter, but maybe a little more modern. And so what I told people to come up with is I wanted them to think about a high school archetype, like a jock or like a prep, something like that. And I wanted them to think of a fantasy archetype. So that's all I wanted them to do. Two points. What are you thinking of right now? What would you do?
0: So I feel like if I were put in this game, I would want to be like, I would always want to be a mermaid princess and I would always find things to relate to mermaid princess. So I would be a mermaid princess cheerleader. Well, I can't be a cheerleader if I'm a mermaid. I mean, my little shell bra would be flopping everywhere. That would get really inappropriate. I would be a mermaid princess guidance counselor.
1: Yeah. And you you see how that's already interesting. Right. So mermaid princess fantasy archetype. Right. That's your fantasy idea. And then you can think of every high school archetype and they're all pretty funny. Like mermaid princess cheerleader. I think would work. I think that'd be really funny. And then you have like creative storytelling things that you got to get into of like, well, how are they going to get around the high school if everybody else walks on land? do they have a fish tank on wheels? Can they be on land?
0: This is my interview, Jake. It's not an interview for you. But if I you know, were a mermaid princess cheerleader that had to navigate the high school, I would probably get a bunch of dumb jocks just to carry me on their shoulders and maybe even carry on like a, a spray thing and they'd spray me and Yeah, this sounds really fun, actually. I would play this with you. So a few questions I have about the mechanics of the game and how you handle things. So it sounds like it's just really a fantasy game. It doesn't necessarily have to do with dungeons or dragons. Was that always a part of this game? I mean, in the past 10 years, has the fantasy narrative shifted? It sounds like a make-believe game with your friends.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a make-believe game with your friends. It did classically be more, we would call it a dungeon crawl, where you're just going through a dungeon, killing stuff. But we got to think that when Dungeons & Dragons came out, they came out 50 years ago. Happy 50th birthday, Dungeons & Dragons. And in the last 50 years, what we think of as fantasy has also evolved immensely. Right, we see fantasy becoming way more varied. It's not just things that look like Conan and look like Lord of the Rings and these really old, like classically, like high fantasy sword and sorcery type things. Fantasy has gotten weirder. There's all sorts of subgenres of fantasy. There's urban fantasy, things that mix up sci-fi and fantasy. There's romance fantasy. Like all of these things have changed. And in that growth of fantasy, when I've done D and D groups, right. And your image of a lot of sweaty nerds in a basement playing D&D, which I think a lot of people have, right, it's also very male-dominated. Almost every D&D group I've played has been pretty equal men and women, right? Women are enjoying D&D in the same way that men are, but the stories evolve and they become more diverse and they become more interesting because of it. And so because of that, I think that your statement was correct. It's not so much just dungeon crawl, find a dragon, kill it, loot its horde type of things anymore. And I think that's because of diversification of the game and the fan base and the growth of fantasy and the popularization of fantasy and the destigmatization of fantasy. And I think it's all for the benefit of the game. It's more fun. And personally, I find this great because I hate dungeon crawl games. They're really boring. I don't want to be spending all my time fighting a skeleton and then I go fight a slime and then I go fight a bugbear. I don't want to do it. I would rather do something that's like political intrigue or my favorite game that I ever ran was folk punk woodland critters fighting confederate ghosts. It was great. It went off the rails immediately. But those are the types of stories that you get to play when you let them evolve with your story.
0: So how does this story work? If we're doing a dungeon call, is it just you and me and some other people and we're like, oh my God, bugbear is up and then we fight with imaginary swords. How does that work? What? Moves the story along, and also, do people play the monsters?
1: The monsters are all played by the DM, so person that's controlling the world is also controlling the monsters. But the game is really player driven. So, if we were playing right now, I could give a scene, and I could say, "We're in a ballroom, right? Or it's high school prom. You're a mermaid princess."
0: I do not need a game to be a mermaid princess, Jake.
1: No, literally, this is just your high school prom. This isn't a game. So, this is your high school prom. You're a mermaid princess. And you see a bunch of your friends are around. The teachers are around. Everybody's having a great time. The DJ is playing some of your favorite songs. What do you do? And that would be the type of setup that I would give to a scene. So the players would get to talk about what do they want to do? What do the characters want to do in that scene? What does your character do in that scene?
0: So a few questions. Obviously, the mermaid princess is going to be the best character of any game. How would you prevent someone who's come up with a more compelling character from automatically stealing the spotlight? Or is it kind of like earned valor? Like, obviously, the mermaid princess is going to be the center of the story. Well, this is
1: where the rules come into play, right? The rules do offer frameworks to get people to share the spotlight. So, like, in combat sequences, everybody has to take turns. One player can be dominating the story, but that's something that you handle personally. You don't worry about, like, how do we solve this with dice rolls? It would be something you talk about like hey like i know your character is doing this and we're talking a lot and they're leading the conversations because they're extroverted but i want to find a way for my introverted character to do a thing and another really important part and this is just maybe an important storytelling thing is that your characters need to be hanging out together for a reason you don't just have everybody pick a random character and you just let them do whatever they want you might say all right we have three players you guys are in a prison cell and you're trying to break out, right? They have an impetus to work together. You're giving them a reason to be together. Or you guys are a band of roving musicians and you need to pay rent. That's an impetus for them to work together. So you find ways to make sure that every character is important and you make sure that teamwork is going to be important to solve the problems that they give you. So one game that I had, I had a player that really wanted to play a pixie. And I was like, that's cool. That's fine. But the problem, pixies are really tiny and they can fly. And so every puzzle I gave them, every maze, every trap, the pixie would just fly through it and it was messing up the story because these were supposed to be hurdles. They're supposed to be finding creative ways through them. But the answer was always the same. And I talked to the player and I told them this. I wasn't just going to like blindside them with this, but I was saying, hey, you flying is making these puzzles really, really easy, I'm going to introduce a bunch of spiders. So there's going to be spider webs. You can still try to fly, but it's going to be riskier. And that was a way to pull back that one person from solving all the puzzles and give the other players ways to solve the puzzles or just make it a little trickier. But there's a lot of that on-the-fly social observation and adjusting to make sure that everybody is having a chance to have fun with the story. And some people will have a great time as a supporting character, and that's fine.
0: So I want to understand a little snippet of how someone might overcome these hurdles. Again, I don't know anything about Dungeons & Dragons. I'm learning a lot more right now, but I actually did not read any of the questions. Jake is my actual real-life friend. He's not just a podcast guest or Subway rat friend Ugh. or a vegan communist. We just wanted to do this for fun. So if you're listening to this and you really like Dungeons and Dragons, do not make fun of me. I know I've made fun of you. I will continue to do so. Do not make fun of me. Also, I'm sorry for calling you a nerd and a virgin. Sure, you're only a nerd. So I'm going to give you, Jake, I'm going to give you what I think the riddle would sound like. And you're going to tell me how a player would respond to it. Because I want to know, is this like I give you a little word puzzle and you solve it? Because that sounds pretty fun. Or do these take period of days and the person has to like pretend to fight through it so you're a pixie i am jafar from aladdin and i've decided that i'm gonna trap a pixie in a little glass jar and the pixie cannot escape and i'm gonna make the pixie sing to me page you're right red meat is delicious i'm so sorry that i support communism hate rats That's what the pixie is gonna sing to me how would you solve this if you were the pixie
1: well, this is where I would lean on the other people that I'm playing with, right? This would be a really interesting rescue mission that they have to go on. And so if a player at my table was Pixie, Pixie got trapped by Jafar and was being forced to sing silly, silly things, what I would do...
0: Say those silly things right now for me, you know, because you're in my trap.
1: Just the absurd notion that, what was it, red meat is good and rats are bad, horrible things, lies... If Jafar made me lie to them, what I would do is I'd go to the player and be like, hey, your character's trapped for this one session. So just for today, we're going to work together and find another character for you to play. So maybe there's a guide, maybe there's a side character that they really like, and they're just going to take control of that side character for the day. But basically give them something to do so they're not just sitting there while their character is trapped. And then we make the session the rescue mission. And so how do we get in? How do we break into Jafar's sanctum and free our pixie?
0: What if someone did not want to solve a specific challenge because it made them uncomfortable? Like what I just said, that was very light. Light stakes. Obviously, you saying I love red meat, I hate communism. Not actually an offensive thing. But what if someone inadvertently makes someone feel uncomfortable in that way, right? Like they have to do or say something that they're normally not okay saying. And I'm pretty sure most of your friends you invite are not going to make your friends say something racist or sexist. But maybe they would if it's part of the dynamic, if it's part of the game. Are there safe words? What do you do to mitigate this?
1: Yeah, this is a really good question, and I'm glad you brought it up because. This is something I feel strongly about in games, and it's starting to become more commonplace. There's a lot of ways to do this. Part of the DM's role is also to protect the players from whatever, from each other, from dark storylines that they don't want to get into. And one of the things that I like doing is, it's a system, I will find it and send you their name. Someone came up with this, and it's a very good system, and so I want to credit them. They call it, I think it's Lines and Veils. And the idea of Lines and Veils is that before you start the game, Players get to say things that are lines that they don't want to cross, and so these are things like, I don't want harm to children to be a part of this game. I don't want sexual assault to be part of this game. And that's something that as the DM, you take very seriously, and if you feel that a player is trying to push the plot line in that direction, you say, guys, this is a line, we're not going to do this in this game. Veils are things that you don't want to see happen, but they can happen off screen my default for lines and veils are pretty conservative like I don't want harm to children and sexual assault are two of my lines that I don't want to run games with those some people might have darker games that their group is okay telling those stories those aren't things that are fun for me so I don't do them in my games
0: yeah harm to children and sexual assault generally everyone agrees we want to avoid those things what would make someone want to run a game with a Dark and controversial topic like that?
1: Well, it's kind of similar to why someone would watch a movie that's about dark themes, right? And there's a way that when you're gaming, when you're role playing and you're taking on these characters and navigating them through situations, there can be an element of this that is somewhat therapeutic, right? If you're dealing with something that is heavy, that is a point of grief for you role-playing through it and having a character have agency to maybe take a different path or see something play out differently can be important and that can be powerful. And so if I had someone that was going through that or they had a story idea that they wanted to run but it was heavier, I would find a group of people that I think were going to treat that with respect and still run the story. It can still be a powerful story. Just like, you know, there's incredibly powerful, sad, dark, disturbing movies Books, all sorts of media, but you wanna make sure people know what they're getting into before you go in that direction.
0: Speaking of dark things, that reminds me of something. Well stop smiling. We're talking about dark things. I know where you're gonna go. He, he says Jake is saying, I think I know where you're gonna go. I can tell you where to go, Jake. Friggin' Subway Rat monster. Subway rat friend. So I- I remember reading something a really long time ago about the Satanic Panic and Dungeons and Dragons. Honestly, that just popped into my head, Satanic Panic. Can you explain that to me? What was that? Is that something that's just made up in my mind? Am I just thinking of you as Satan because of the whole rat thing? Tell me about it, Jake.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, the Satanic Panic thing was, I want to say, late 80s, early 90s. There was a big pushback of, I guess, parents, predominantly Christian, I assume. They were basically saying Dungeons & Dragons is trying to corrupt our youth. They are teaching people how to be Satanists. They're communing with the devil through Dungeons and & Dragons. And it was this big, hysteric campaign to basically say, don't let your kids play Dungeons & Dragons.
0: When have you ever accidentally opened up a portal to another world? And two, a more serious question. It's just made up words. How can a parent stop a child from playing a game with made up words?
1: Well, a lot of the monsters in Dungeons and Dragons are borrowed from real world mythologies. So there are things from Japanese folklore, from African folklore, or inspired. And that includes, you know, Judeo Christian folklore, which is demons and angels and devils and imps and things that people would consider demonic. Now, I think this satanic panic is not unique to Dungeons and Dragons. When I was growing up, it was Harry Potter. I grew up in a a very, very evangelical town that a lot of families thought that Harry Potter and witchcraft was also trying to sully the minds of their children. This I don't think is very different. It's just people looking at it and not understanding what the line is between telling a story and between religious connotation. I'm going to draw that line in some places. Other people are going to draw that line in different places. That's obviously up to their own discretion. But obviously now people are much more okay with saying this is a demon in a movie. We're not talking about literal Christian demons that people
0: believe in. What were some of the things that happened during the satanic panic? for people who played Dungeons and Dragons? Was it basically just a bunch of people being like, The devil's gonna possess you if you play Dungeons and Dragons? Or were people, you know, actually expelled from school, or is there real social stigma that happened? Do you know anything about that?
1: The most common thing that happened in the satanic panic era was people getting their books thrown out by their parents or getting their magazines thrown out by their parents or being told that they couldn't
0: buy them. Why do you think people have such a strong reaction? towards other people wanting to play magical games? You know, read Harry Potter, play Dungeons and Dragons, practice communism. Why do people have such a strong reaction to people just going into fantasy land of things that have never actually worked in reality?
1: I think when you are involved in religious thinking and you have fantasies that you are going to let alter your worldview and become a part of your core identity, Other fantasies become more threatening. And so if you're someone that thinks that every Sunday you're eating the literal body of Christ and then you see someone playing a game about a demon, those things are harder to parse and separate than if you realize that the latter is a game and the former is your personal religious practice. I don't know how to go into this without just on Christians.
0: Jake, go ahead. I mean, I don't know when I'll get time to publish this in my cute because I've got a few podcasts ahead of you, but I just did a podcast where this woman basically told everyone who listens to my show to convert to Christianity to be protected against demons. And I really, I want to know what she thinks about Dungeons and Dragons. Probably not ever going to talk to her again, but if I do, I'll ask her. So what I'm saying is, say whatever you want.
1: Well, I guess I'll just sum it up that I think some people have a problem determining what is a game and what is their personal religious belief. I will say, I mean, obviously there's parts of the country and there's communities that still probably wouldn't let their kids play d and I think that's vastly changing. I think it is much more in the cultural site. It's easier to see. There's movies, there's games, there's podcasts. There's podcasts that are so popular they got TV spinoffs. It's out there and it's really popular and people realize that it's for fun. When it started, it was much smaller. And it was a very unique idea, right? People didn't really know what you were doing with these books and these dice. And you're just talking with your friends for hours and they felt it was suspicious. But now people have spent more time with the idea. They feel like it's less scary. And maybe they've played themselves or know people that have played. And there's less of this hysteria around it.
0: What value do you think fantasy role-playing brings to people's lives? I mean, I certainly get lost in my own world, I would say, fairly often, and I find it a really good way of thinking and dealing and working through things that I experience in my day-to-day. Why do so many people get involved in this more intense, more time-consuming space? Why not just daydream? I think
1: fantasy can bring very different values to different people. And I think one of the reasons that people like the more elaborate setup of d versus just daydreaming personally is the community element of it. And I think we've all experienced this, that creating something alone is a very different process than creating something with a group. And when you're creating something with a group, it's going to be very different. You might go in directions that you don't expect, but you love when they happen, right? Some of the best stories... I think I know where the story is going. I know where it's going to go. And then one of my players says something brilliant. And I I have to go that way because it's so much better than what I thought. And so that moment of mutual creation is amazing. And it's rare. It's hard to find that. And I think D&D is one of the big elements or one of the big outlets where a group of people can sit together and create something just for the joy of creation. You're not trying to monetize it You're not trying to have it be perfect. You're just trying to create and have fun. Surely you can do that alone, but it's harder. And it's harder to be surprised. And that moment of surprise is so fun.
0: Very interesting. This actually brings me to my final question. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. So I'm going to frame it in a slightly different way. Jake, I've been in New York City for about five (laughs) days. Stop laughing. And in this time, so much insanity has happened to me that I cannot imagine wanting to go home and start another fantasy world. God, I feel like walking outside in the day, you're in a fantasy world already. Like dragons, wizards, I met I met those character mermaid princesses, dragons, wizards, mages, is that how you say it, mages? Magi? I don't want the nerds to get mad at me and make fun of me for mispronouncing something. Whatever, I have perfect hair and a great body. Go ahead and make fun of me. You know, you go outside in New York, just walk and you see all these incredible things. I could understand you playing Dungeons & Dragons in North Carolina, which is where Jake and I met, or even in whatever state you used to live in. I forgot, I know you told me. Colorado. I could understand you playing... Dungeons and Dragons there, right? There's more space, there's more nature, there's less hustle and bustle. You're in New York City. Why do you play Dungeons and Dragons here when you have it already outside?
1: I I think it's a good question. I know you're joking, but it...
0: No, I'm not joking. Everything I just said. Vic, my friend, and I, we went to Chinatown with our friend Diane. We were pulled off to the side by these strange ladies that tried to get us to buy a handbag, screamed at us, when we were like, no, we don't want to buy it. I got a flash tattoo. I saw someone, they motioned to me, and I was like, hey, what's up? And they were like, hey, girl, want to buy? And they pulled out this really weird-looking drug thing. I didn't buy it, just for everyone listening. Just all this stuff happens in New York City. Jake, I have come home every single day, and my brain has been fried. I cannot imagine coming home and going, yeah, I'm going to manage a fantasy world right now.
1: I think, yeah, New York is a lot. But I will say it's even more to handle when you're here as a tourist or just visiting. And you don't have an apartment that you can go back and chill in.
0: I felt this way when I visited you last year and stayed with you and Kelly. My brain still exploded. And I remember you talking to me a little bit about Dungeons & Dragons. And I was like, yeah, I don't get it. How do you find the time and the energy to create another world when you live in New York City? Which is the home of like a bazillion worlds.
1: Yeah, it's hard. I will say the hardest thing about Dungeons & Dragons is scheduling. It is the perennial joke that the biggest thing that kills D&D groups is just the Google calendar. And that's real in just energy. You know, people's time is precious and energy is precious. So getting adults in the same place together is really hard.
0: Yeah, I came to New York to talk and look at fashion, not Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, by the way, tomorrow there's a big sample sale going. So Kelly should skip her job and come and we could play Mermaid Princesses and you could be like a dungeon master and get all the other girls at the sample sale to leave because you'll <laughs> create a like a, yeah, okay, actually this does sound kind of fun. Let's do this tomorrow.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, send the stuff.
0: Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast Jake, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow where you're going to manage the whole sample sale of, I'm not going to tell people what we're buying.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking about nerd.
0: You should, you're going to call me Mermaid Princess from now on.
1: Yeah, of course. This is Mermaid Princess doesn't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons.